Did you know that 89% of award-winning ad campaigns fall into just six categories of thinking? And now the ad nerds at AdHouse Advertising School have taken that thinking and turned it into a deck of cards. AdHouse of Cards is a deck of 35 cards designed to help you come up with big ideas. Each card includes a prompt, a proven technique used by award-winning ad pros to jumpstart your thinking and improve your campaigns. Visual thinkers can use the backs of the cards to free associate using gorgeous photography from the artists at Unsplash.com. AdHouse of Cards will teach you to hone in on the benefit, dramatize it, romanticize it, look at it sideways, and twist it into a pretzel. And the best part is that all of the proceeds go to the AdHouse Scholarship Program, supporting our mission to make the advertising industry more inclusive. AdHouse of Cards, a deck for ad nerds. Get yours today for just 20 bucks at AdHouseNYC.com. Hello, fellow ad nerds, and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman, freelance copywriter at TomChrisman.net and co-dean at AdHouse Advertising School. Today, you're going to hear my conversation with David Ezradi of The Next Wave in Dayton, Ohio. David is a true ad nerd in every sense of the word. He's also a disabled veteran, a politician, and an activist and self-described truth-deller who has gotten in trouble more than once for it. David is also a digital pioneer. He started the next wave way back in 1988 and was one of the first people to understand the power of the internet for advertising. He even went on to uh, create Luke Sullivan's website for Hey Whipple Squeeze This, a gig he got by volunteering to drive Sullivan to the airport from a speaking engagement. David and I geek out on the importance of establishing trust in sales, how to find a great agency in a small city, and the importance of figuring out who the HMFIC is. We delve into the manipulation of information and how to do a political campaign that makes people think. There's lots of advice in this one and some really inspiring stuff for ad nerds who happen to be in smaller markets. So now, without further ado, here's my talk with David Israti. How are you, David? I'm good. How are you, Tom? I'm okay. Um, but uh, but I'm glad we were able to do this. Awesome, me too. And and uh, you are uh, you are in. Tell tell everybody who you are and and where you are. I'm David Osrodi. I'm Dayton, Ohio, booming metropolis of um, not exactly the advertising hotbed of the world, but I've been trying to do that, make it that way for 32 years as the next wave marketing innovation, as in not. The third wave in Toffler's book, he said the first wave, which was the uh, agrarian society. The second yeah. wave was the Industrial Revolution. The third wave was the Information Age. I said, oh, I'll get in trouble if I name myself the fourth wave, and then we're already passed by. These things <laughs> are going a little quicker, so uh, I just said I'd be the next wave. You'd be the next wave. So you want to be in, and, you want to be in that in that space. And and marketing innovation came from Peter Drucker, who said there's only two things a business has. One is marketing and the other is innovation. Right. And I read Peter Drucker, which is something that I think anybody in business should do. And uh, that was one of my pet peeves going to college. And even when I got into this business, I found that people didn't read much outside of their, uh, their narrow silo. 
Right, and outside of the advertising think, space. And even there, I mean, I, I don't know how many people I've met in the graphic design field that never read um, Living by Design by Pentagram. Absolutely awesome book. Changed my entire worldview. Um, back in the day when I got started, the only thing out there was Ogilvy on advertising. Mm. And I read that and uh, thought it was the Bible until uh, my friend Luke <laughs> Sullivan came out with something better called Hey Whipple oh, Squeeze yeah. This. Yeah, Luke's. Luke's books are amazing. And now he's doing uh, all kinds of webinars and stuff for people. And, and Luke is one of the funniest speakers you'll ever hear. He is just awesome. The first time I saw him was in 1999 or 2000. He just had everybody laughing. I ran yeah. up to him after that and said, you know, I, I got to meet, you know, get to know you. How are you getting to the airport? So well, I was going to take a cab. I said, oh, no, I'll, I'll drive you. But uh, that's how I got to know Luke. And later on, I ended up helping him out with a website for Hey Whipple. Oh, he nice. Built it and host it. And uh, helped him with some of his presentation, um, you know, how to go about doing it online. Yeah. And so we still do that. And then in the fifth edition, I'm actually, I'm in, I'm in the credits. I'm in the index. Oh, Sign. look at you. You did it. So, yeah. Um, uh, so, so David, what, where did you, how did you start off in this business? What, 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 uh, what got you into advertising in the first place and, and, so, and how did you, how'd you find it? You know, every one of us finds our way in a different way. And mine was really by playing the saxophone, playing the sax. And my teacher made me play set to cassette tape. He'd make a cassette tape and play along. So I needed to get a cassette deck. So I went and got Consumer Reports, and Consumer Reports said, this is the cassette deck you need to buy. Mm -hmm. I went out to buy one at this little stereo store, and I had the gall at 12 years old to ask the guy for a job. And he had the audacity to hire a 12-year-old to come in and work in the store. See, Why did you want to work there? I wanted to work there because I wanted discounts on the stuff. Yeah. And I wanted to be around it. I liked it. And uh, I want, you know, it, it just seemed like better than a paper route. I'd already yeah. had one of those, you know. So um, little did I know I was being hired mostly to dust, to clean the windows, yeah. to hook stuff up because I fit behind the cabinets. You know, we had that wall of audio equipment with the switch box and the wall of speakers. Yeah. So that was my job, making sure everything worked and hooked up until one day he, uh, my boss would go down and I'd get there about 3 after school, 3.15. And he'd walk down, the, he'd lock me out a lot of times and say, wash the windows outside. And he'd walk down the street to get a beer and a slice of pizza. And uh, one day he didn't lock me out. And I answered the phone and a guy asked me if we had something. I said, yeah. And I told him we had it, the price. He said, I'll be right down. He came across the street and I got it out. I, I couldn't write a receipt. I didn't know how to make change. I didn't know how to do anything. <laughs> so my boss taught me and I, I started selling. And by the time I was 16, he was taking, he went back to work for the summer at this big corporation left me to run the store. Wow. And I learned then that I didn't have a problem selling this stuff. Yeah. I had a problem getting people in the store. I mean, that was the major problem. So, you know, we didn't have huge. And you cared this. about that at 16 because like most 16 year olds, uh, David, I don't know if you know this, but most 16 year olds would not, uh, care about that. They would, uh, they would be like, hey, I'm running a stereo store. Every, all my friends come down and we'll hang out. And they like, 
But My you didn't have money. <laughs> no, I'm not saying buy things. Yeah. I'm saying just hang out and have a dance party. But you oh. said, no, I want to sell more equipment. I want to sell more stuff. Wow. You've just and, been a natural salesman your entire life. I don't, I don't even know if it was that. But the, the crazy thing was I sold stereo equipment from age 12 to 24. Wow. And I was in the army in between there. But when I was 24 or 23, I learned that I was selling it wrong the whole time. Mm. And this blew my mind because, you know, I'd been selling what we called specs, you know. Yeah. Signal noise ratio, power, just like they talk about computers with speeds and how much RAM and how much hard. That's not what you're selling. When you're selling stereo equipment, you are selling the ability to enjoy music mm -hmm. and be able to experience it as close to what it would be like if you heard it live. Mm. And until I started selling high-end stuff, this stuff called Lynn made in Scotland, nobody had ever taught me how to walk somebody through the process of moving them from the lowest price stuff to the highest price stuff on their own. Right. And if you're doing it right, they can figure out what their threshold of pain is. Mm. And, you know, you can get an emotional response out of them when you make them feel like it's they're making the decision, not you selling it. To them. Mm -hmm. So we were selling turntables that cost $800, no tone arm, no cartridge, in the day when you could buy a CD player for 400 bucks. Mm. And I was selling a lot of turntables. And then I was, you know, the rest of it. And once they bought from me that way, they'd keep coming back because nobody else was selling it that way. You realize the moment you walk into a stereo store and there's more than one pair of speakers, yeah, you're hearing all the speakers in the room. They all vibrate with each other yeah, and throw off the soundstage. You can't tell what you're listening to. So if there's more than one pair of speakers in the room, walk out. But that's, we don't have stereo anymore. We have 5161, one, one, You know, it's all. Yeah. It's all movies, but you know, it was uh, it was learning to establish trust with the people that were buying the from you mm -hmm. that helped you with that. And advertising, oftentimes, was I mean, I'd, I'd look at the New York Times all the time, and I'd see laundry from Crazy Eddie's, and mm -hmm. uh, my boss in Atlanta when I was twenty or nineteen, he had worked at Crazy Eddie. He'd been the number one salesperson, and his idea of a, of a of a, an ad was a laundry list with, you know, prices, product names and prices and nothing about anything else. Yeah. And you'll still see that cameras and everything yeah, else. Computers. And just, and, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's not how you sell things. You know no. that. I know that. Yeah. And people should know that. But So um, you, you, was this in Atlanta that this happened? That no, all this was, happened? This was in Cleveland. And you were growing I, up in Cleveland. Yeah. I graduated high school at 17. My cousin taught me to move into Atlanta at 18. I ended up working with two crazy paratroopers and a Marine combat photographer from Vietnam. And they thought I needed a, a dose of military training. And I'd always wanted to jump out of airplanes. And my father had been in the Army. So I, I, I went off. I left Atlanta. And I went in the Army. You joined the and, Army? Uh, like, joined? There was no draft, joined. was there? I, 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 no, I, I voluntarily enlisted. This was 1981. I went in the Army. And it was, uh, that was a learning experience in itself. Um, it's the first time I'd really experienced uh, people from Texas in large quantities. <laughs> uh, where where were and, you stationed? Uh, where were you stationed when you so, were in the military? So I was Fort Dix for basic training, Fort Gordon for advanced individual training, Fort Benning for jump school, Fort Bragg for special forces school. And that's where I got injured. And then 
then I was out and I was out for a, two years on temporary retirement, went, decided to go to college um, and picked the college basically because there was right state, right at there in Ohio and it's the only military installation in Ohio. Bad way to choose a school, by the way. <laughs> don't and, do it that uh, way is what you're saying. Don't do it that way. Halfway through. Uh, what school was school, it? I was Wright State University. Maybe oh, Wright, Wright State. State. I, I thought you were just saying that it was, the, it was in the no. Wright State. No, no, it's called Wright State it's University. It's called Wright State after the Wright brothers who are Dayton's, oh, uh, okay. Dayton's epic sons. Yes, and, Dayton's uh, finest. Yeah, so it, they happen to have a scuba program that my mother had read about. And I started diving in the Army. And so uh, it all made sense, I thought. And then I moved here. Halfway through school, I got cleared to go back on either active duty or reserve. I'm like, I got a full ride for college. I'm going to stay in the reserves. I'm not going to pull out of college. Yeah. So I went in a special forces reserve unit here at an old Nike missile station out in Jamestown, Ohio. Wow. Which was about an hour away. And I was the lowest ranking guy there. And it was you know, heading into my senior year, trying to do reserves while, you know, carrying a full load at school right. and working didn't fit. So I basically opted out and that was the end of my military career. Okay. But uh, there aren't a whole lot of us in advertising. I mean, no. the only guy I know is running an agency that's been in the army or in the military was, is Jamie Barrett, Barrett at mm -hmm. uh, Barrett, San Francisco. I've talked to him yeah. a little bit, but there's not He's in a the whole, Marines. Yeah. There aren't a whole, lot of us yeah um and the, when you're talking about government contracts there's all these set-asides for service disabled veteran-owned businesses ah. and the big contracts like the recruiting contracts are supposed to have three percent um usage of the contract is supposed to go to subcontractors who are service disabled vets mm -hmm. and for years i tried to get into mccann and it was just a brick wall they wouldn't even talk to me the, the guy was super nice david uh, last name starts with an H. Can't remember his name. He retired a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, he was their diversity guy. And then uh, DDB won the contract a couple of years ago. And I tried getting in, talking to people there, and uh, they weren't particularly interested either. Mm. So uh, it's kind of been a bummer on on that front because yeah, it's an account I'd like to work on. And I saw the pitch deck that DDB gave, and it was brilliant. And then the army turned around and ignored. It. Uh, which is pretty much par for the course. Most of the people I've heard that have gotten these government contracts, they'd be careful what you wish for. No, I've, I've, been, I've gone to a few of these diversity conferences. They call them the Mosaic Conference. And mm -hmm. I went to the first one in New York, and there were 28 big agencies there. And basically, there were four white guys in the room. I think uh, three of us were service disabled, but I don't know what the other one was. And you know, just the sea of everybody, you know, every other color under the rainbow. Mm -hmm. And all the people at the tables interviewing us were white. Pretty much, you know. The diversity people at the agencies were white. Or, or they weren't full-time or they were contractors. There was very little color on the agency side. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's been a sore spot for me because Dayton's, uh, Dayton's pretty much 50-50 date proper. Some mm -hmm. are not so much. And I've made a real effort here to try to hire minority kids. I've run a lot of them through a work program, a summer work program. Yeah. And a couple of them gone on. One just graduated from a program in New York City with a master's in uh, 
copywriter. Oh, that's great. And he, he was a bag man here. <laughs> William S. Howard. If you get a chance to What's hire his name? him, William S. Howard. William S. Howard. Yeah, he, he went to a program. It, it wasn't Ad House New York, NYC, so it definitely wasn't the best program. Oh, stop. What, how, do, uh, how does your internship work? How can, people, uh, how can people check out how to get? So we have right on our front page of our site, up at the top, it says careers and internships and has all the details. Yeah. Um, we're a small shop, so, you know, we can only take one or two. Yeah. And, you know, the pay is not great. And <laughs> we try to get you well-rounded experience and, you know, involved. In mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it's a whole lot different than when I started trying to get into this business because back then, I mean, you had the phone book. You could go and look in the yellow pages on the yeah. advertising agency. And there might be a thing there saying a four A's. I mean, when was the last time you heard anybody talking about the four A's? Yeah. And there are a couple of agencies that were listed as four A agencies. I'm like, ooh, they must be the best. And I'm trying to figure out how to get in here. And I couldn't find out who worked there. I'd have to call people and ask who knows people. And you know, and start, I started interviewing everybody I knew that was even remotely aware of these mysterious people that worked in advertising. And uh, before I, I figured out where I really wanted to work, it was a scratch design firm that had split off of another long-term design firm. And they were like the cat's pajamas. These guys were by far the best in town. And I found out who owned the place, how it was run. I talked to a former employee. He told me all the names of the people there, who had talent, who didn't. And so when I went in there to interview, when I finally got the interview, you know, I could talk about who their clients were and everything else. And it impressed, it took me five months of interviews before I got the job. And what sealed the deal was I came in, finally the, the president is two, got his two partners in, to meet me and they, their idea was for me to go out they had in-house photography they wanted me to sell photography to other agencies and design firms mm. and i didn't think other design firms would hire them because the photography you know steal their clients and i didn't think other agencies were that interested because again steal their clients steal yeah. their clients i said you should spend these photographers out you know on their own and but i put together a presentation using my 512k fat mac an image writer with an imp a thunder scan scanning cartridge i'd scanned their logo in and put it on the cover of my presentation you know dot matrix printer yeah. they were like wow how'd you do this they had no clue and they said well computers will never do what what we're doing now you know they'll never do yeah. color separation <laughs> they'll never do typesetting we they had their own typesetting company right in the back of the building yeah and I'm like, oh, yeah, it will. And they're like, you know, I was full of shit. They hired me anyways. <laughs> Five dollars an hour. I was so you showed you showed them your uh, your technical expertise that you were you were into computers and you, you knew how to use these new these new zingo dingo wingos. They weren't even interested in that part. Oh, they really? Were, they were interested in the fact that, you know, I had told them that I would make them part of the evoke set. I told them that people weren't thinking about them unless somebody's going and knocking on their door and showing the work and talking to them. And I'm going to do that better than anybody else. Yeah. And I got the job. I didn't keep it for that long because I pissed people off. You know, Who'd, I, what'd you, how'd you piss them off? Uh, so it, 
the, the worst part was I got them into LexisNexis, but it wasn't LexisNexis yet. Mead Data Central. And it was right, like, literally the next block down. Mead Data Central was an offshoot of Mead Paper, which was, used to be headquartered in Dayton. They hadn't gotten into Mead at all. And they wanted into Mead, and especially Mead Data Central, which was doing this innovative thing called a search engine for legal documents. Ah. And uh, so I went in there and I made a pitch and we got a meeting. So instead of sending me with the sales manager, they sent me with one of the two co-owners that were below Larry. And we go in there and Mark. And what, what are you selling now? What, what are you going in to they sell? Called us, they called us in. They had a trade show booth, a 30-foot booth, and they wanted to update the graphics. Okay. It was only going to be for this one show, and they just wanted new graphics. And so they had a meeting with like 12 people in the room, a guy in suspenders with a bow tie who was sort of the head dog in charge and client that had invited me in. And there's all these other people sitting in there, you know, typical corporate boardroom bullshit meeting type thing. Yeah. And Mark's taking notes like they're going out of style. And I'm watching the, who's looking at who and who defers to who and figuring out who's who's the decision maker. Yeah. Because when I was in the army, I always learned there's one person who's HMFIC and that's all the, the only person you got to convince. Yeah. So uh, I figured out. It's we'll let people do. Google what HMFIC uh, Yeah, it's a very for. important term. Yeah. So about three quarters of the way through, I said, what's your current advertising now? And they said, oh, we've got this agency in New York and they're shooting these black and white pictures of lawyers that are you know, at their table and everything, there's tension and there's, I said, why don't you just let us put those up for this for right now? Because let us do the next booth. But for right now, just use those graphics and, and because what they'll recognize it ties back to the campaign, you know, save you some money. I'm trying to build a relationship here. Yeah. And as we walk out, I can tell Mark is top is ready to blow. I said, won't we go out the doors in the parking lot to stop me from getting rid? I said, so who do you think the decision maker was? He's like, Linda. I'm like, no, no, Linda has nothing to do with this. She was the one that invited us. But she's not the, it's the guy with the, the bow tie. And Mark's just steaming. By the end of that day, he's gone over to Larry. And Larry calls me into his office and says, you know, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to terminate your program. I said, oh, so that mean I get to work on something else? And he just chuckled. And uh, Larry and I stayed friends. And we go to lunch every so often. And I had lunch with him like 10 days before he ended up falling over dead of aneurysm. Oh, no. But uh, the last words Larry said to me was, he said, you'd be great in this business. You'd only do stop and concentrate on one thing. Either do the politics or do the the advertising. Don't do both. And I, I, I still haven't really honored larry with that request <laughs> oh, he means the pot like real politics like yeah like, real politics i yeah I, I feel strongly that um you know the manipulations of media it's something that we should be conscious of so the reality is we don't have a system where you can find information about candidates in their own words that's clear that answer clear questions I mean, league of women voters does a half-assed job two questions and 50 words each for the 
the publication they passed out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's sort of become my goal in life on one side of my life. And on the other is to make sure that, you know, people, when they, when they actually go to vote, they have to think. Mm-hmm. If we're doing political campaigns, we do campaigns that make people think. Mm-hmm. Um, we need better systems for picking our candidate because by the time Ohio used to be a swing state, by the time the Democratic primary ran, I didn't have a choice. Biden was the only one on running still. Right. So instant runoff ballots solve this problem. That's where you get to rank your candidate. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something I'm pushing for. So this is kind of crazy. You know, we, we talk about ourselves now as an activist agent. We uh-huh. set up a 501c4. That's a nonprofit that can be involved in political conversation. We set it up. It's called reconstructinggate.org because I've learned you start everything out local. You know, it doesn't really, to go national, you, you got to sell out. So we're doing this locally. We took the money that I won in a lawsuit, a free speech lawsuit. I settled my own in federal court. I hired a guy full-time as a researcher and a writer. We're putting out content every week. We're getting ready to start making our first deal for funds. We've surveyed candidates. So uh, we've taken that on sort of a side gig. And that makes things a little more interesting. We get clients who either like what we're doing and want to support us and find out that we're a damn good ad agency, or we get shut out of contracts because we're those assholes that are truth tellers. Yeah. In fact, one of our best clients, this is, this is interesting. So uh, right after an election that I'd lost, I was going to file a lawsuit to stop the city hall, city hall from buying a piece of, um, piece of property from some private investors so they could put a fountain downtown. Mm-hmm. And the guy had given me money when I'd run, and he said, after the election, come talk to me. So I called him up to talk to him, and he says, fuck you. I'm not talking to you. Um, you're going to ruin my deal with the county, you know, the county and the city because I'm about to clear $8.7 million on a $200,000 investment. And uh, I said, can we have lunch? So we go to have lunch. He says, look, he says, you don't file that lawsuit. You get a nice account. You can do some work, make a little bit of money. Nobody else cares. You know, just shut up. And then one time I shut up because nobody else did care. They really didn't care. Yeah. So uh, we did work for him. Um, we worked for him for about a year and a half. And he screwed us royally. And it just it was bad juju all around. So your and advice is don't work for people like that. My advice is fine. This is the most important thing you can do when you're looking for your first job mm-hmm. or any job mm-hmm. in this business. Find somebody you like and respect and work for them, who works for people they like and respect. Because I've taken on some clients for people I like, but I didn't know shit about what they were doing, and I didn't like it that much. Like, I had a fishing like mm. I don't like fishing. I'm not a fisherman. I'm a scuba diver. Fish hooks <laughs> hurt, you know? Yeah. I just, I couldn't get into it. So, uh, but find somebody you like and respect and try to get a job. And and, you know, look for somebody that's going to let you, you know, try to help you grow. I might tell these guys, if you're coming to work and you're not learning something new every day, you need to find someplace else to go. Yeah, Tom Peters, you know, in, in Search of Excellence and uh, Passion for Excellence and all those things, he said at one point, he says, if you haven't been fired at least once, you aren't trying hard enough. Yeah. And... Uh, so I got fired from my first job in advertising, my second job in advertising, my third job in advertising, and I started my own thing. And 
I never looked back. I, I, there was a lot I could have learned. Yeah. You know, by working for other people and stealing clients like everybody else and starting up. And I've <laughs> learned the hard way and I'm way behind comparatively. And if you look at most of the people you've interviewed, hell, they jump jobs every two years. Mm-hmm. You know, and they've all worked. Everybody you've interviewed, except for me, pretty much, and maybe two others you've worked with or you knew somebody that worked with them or something. So I'm, I'm kind of strange for this show. Yeah. Um, although we do have. Well, I'm trying to connection. I'm trying to get I'm trying to break out and show. There's advertising everywhere. Yeah. You don't have to live in New York City. You don't have to work in, in L.A. You can be in Dayton, Ohio, and there are ad agencies uh, in your neighborhood that would love to show you the ropes. You know, and some of them would love to do good work. Like yeah. there's one agency in this town now that still does great work. I think they're awesome. In fact, it was technically it was my first job in advertising was working for the founder of it. What is um, it? Uh, I don't know if I. Now want you got to tell us. <laughs> Go look at it. It's realartusa. I think dot com or realart dot com. Okay. Um, it's more of a design shop on um, immersive interactive. They like doing digital physical things like flipboards and yeah like they made a giant wall that you could run remotely and pick up stuff and yeah um they just so it's an experiential stuff. experiential, experiential place. shop but yeah they had an cool. office in new york they had an office in chicago um they were tied in with a local billionaire here and then that sort of dried up and they took a took a bit of a hit but they do really nice design work they just yeah. they're not real strategic and they're I, I don't know that you always get what you pay for Right. So uh, that's your competitive. They, that's your competitive thing. You got to throw that in there. But you've uh, given them. You've given them the. <laughs> I, you know, this is the, the problem in our business. Is most of the people in our business have only sold this stuff. Yeah, they never sold anything else. Yeah. You know. They yeah. Go no, car, it's it's they they've never car dealers how to sell cars, but none of them have ever actually worked on the floor of a car dealership and learned. Yeah. What it's really like, or understood how you know operations work. I always, I always talk to the salesman when I'm working on, if I can, uh, I'll talk because yeah. a lot of times marketing and sales don't like each other. And, and like the marketing guy will be like, no, 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 don't talk to them. They don't know what they're talking about. But then when you do talk to them, uh, you know, when they have that company thing where you all sit together and you talk to them, you learn so much about like what the real value of the product uh, or brand is. My biggest problem was, you know, in 1976 or whatever, when I was, 14 years old or whatever I was, and I'm trying to sell Marantz receivers. All the brochure basically said the difference was, was the number of buttons and knobs and the watts per channel. I buy a lot of photography equipment. We do our own video production. Mm-hmm. And I honestly value the stuff that comes with a good case where I can keep all the stuff, pieces, parts together mm. so that I know that I have the complete thing when I show up ready to use it yeah drones do a better job of that gimbals do a better job of cameras the lights most lights horrible so no so you know going back to when i first went tried to do the research these kids have all the research tools you can go to linkedin Mm -hmm. you can find out where they worked before you can go and you know see the work online i i want to see out of kid i want to see their Pinterest page. Yeah. Or their scrap, you know, we used to have our own scrapbook, their clip files. Yeah. Well, they can do that all on Pinterest. Show me what turns you on. Oh, that's cool. You know, show tell me your three favorite ads and why they're your three favorite ads. Yeah. 
tell me your three favorite local restaurants. So I know that you've actually gone out and tried more than, you know, Applebee's Outback and, uh, you know, whatever. I want to, I want that are curious about the world around. I want yeah. people that take the time to find out about our business if they want to work here. And I don't yeah. see that from kids. So, you know, the sales manager at my first job, Tony, Tony Vernon, he told me about when he was getting in the He was just a designer. He went and interviewed with every design firm in Louisville, got rejected by everyone. They collected all the business cards. And he wrote them thank you letters and everything. They get ignored. So what he did is he sat there and he redesigned every single agency's logo and put together a board. You know, this is back in the day as a hand-drawn type. Yeah. And went out and showed it to everybody. He got three offers the first day. Wow. Yeah. You know, so. He, well, he used, he used something that they cared about and right. he showed how he relates to that thing. And uh, yeah. I think that's, that's a superpower. That's cool. This is the other part that drives me crazy about kids. Like, I sat there and I learned about who my heroes were. Then I made every effort to go out and meet and, you know, make a personal introduction if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're trying to be in the NBA, you know who LeBron James is. You know who Kyrie Irving is. You know yeah. who they all are, right? Yeah. And I, I sit there and I start talking to somebody about Crispin and they don't know what Crispin is. I mean, that yeah. was the agency of the decade. Changed everything. You don't know who, you know, Goldane Birnbach is either mm. or BBDO. You know, you have no business being in this. So right. I want them to actually go out, find out who their heroes are and show me their favorite work. So um, you should be able to talk about campaigns made a difference and why you should know who did them and what the secret sauce was you should know what the brief was or what the challenge was what they were overcoming i mean people don't understand what the perception of was old spice before i'm on a horse yeah that's cool and i think that that comes from the business too right like we we kind of we kind of the the thing you said about crispin is kind of why people because we all go, well, we're not, we're not an ad agency. We're not just doing ads here. It's like, no, y- you are. And that's a very worthy yeah. uh, thing to be is an ad person. Like ads are awesome. Ads change so, the world. So what if it's paving a road for pizza yeah. or it's, uh, you know, building. Yeah, it's my, still an my, ad. My, my, my favorite still, of, of like, I mean, there's a, there's a couple ones, but one of the ones, the, the Blaze Cologne. I mean, we're talking chump change investment. It got written up all over. It smelled like a whopper, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Flame broil. I mean, nobody's going to put that stuff on. Yeah. But, hey, you know, it worked. It, it got, it got, for it a got very buzz. little bit amount of money. But the question is, how many clients pay you for that? Yeah. And that's really what they, they master is getting paid for stunts like that. And, yeah. You know. I got to meet Alex, uh, and he's, you know, I, my first experience or understanding of him was really through Sally Hogshead, who I'd worked for for four years. Um, I met her on her book tour and told her, hey, you know, your site, most of it can't be indexed. And I showed her, and she was shocked. And next thing you know, she hires me, and we worked together for a while. Oh, I that's cool. launch her F-score and everything, and 
Sally really helped me understand. And she'd been fired by Alex. And I'd even seen the letter that he sent her to fire. <laughs> she opened the West Coast office of Crispin in L.A. Um, on September 10th, 2001. Oh, my God. And then September 11th happened. And, you know, it's one thing after another. But, you know, I'd had this idea that Alex was some sort of, you know, mean person. And he has a reputation for some people. You know, he cut the chase. Yeah. But I reached out to him because I read about his project, B-Site, the bike share program. I wanted to bring it to Dayton, Ohio. And he introduced me to somebody, and I never really had to talk to Alex again about it. They came here, and we ended up with B-Cycle and Dayton. And of course, I didn't get credit for bringing it here, but <laughs> I was the one that told them they should bring B-Cycle and whatever. Yeah, sure. But uh, I finally got to meet Alex and had interviewed him for this book I'm writing on politics. And we stayed in touch all through all this. And then at one point I saw that he wasn't in the Advertising Hall of Fame for the AAF. Now, some people like the AAF. Some people ignore it. Um, our AAF chapter in Dayton was the second oldest one in the country, supposedly. And I've been going to every meeting I could. And I learned things there. I meet people. I also go to the Cincinnati chapter as well. Now, I've been thrown out of the AAF chapter in Dayton. But uh, that, that's, you know, more politics and BS. But I, I'm still in the Cincinnati chapter, and that's how I met Greg Hahn. I brought him to speak in Cincinnati, from Cincinnati. Yep. I learned that on your podcast. And uh, Greg's a great guy. And look, you know, you can learn something from all these people. But yeah. I saw that Alex wasn't in the AAF Hall of Fame. He was eligible. So I, I built a site to nominate him. called it BogusskyFreakOut.com. You know, uh-huh. We're freaking out that he's not the ch- in the AF Hall of Fame, Alex got passed at. He was like, I don't want to, I don't want to award. I don't want to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, I, not important. And I put the site up and I asked people to put up their own why Alex should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So I, of course I had to seed it some. So I reached out to Lee Plow. Lee wrote back. I reached out to Luke. Luke you know, no problem. I, other people I knew and all these people said why Alex should be in the Hall of Fame. Even Sally said she'd been fired by him. Sure. Right? So I built the site. It's still up. And I've got a body of work of his, of things that influenced me. They're like, There's one of the truth ads that I don't think you'd find it anywhere else. I'd saved it a long time ago from a site called AdPrint. Mm-hmm. And I had to re-upload it. Really low residence. Kids walk, driving around in an old jalopy going in the nice side of town and the bad side of town, poor side of town. And looking at the ads at like the local convenience store. Now yeah. on the poor side, it's all you know, cigarette ads. Yeah. And in the rich side, there might be one. Yeah. They said, what are they te- trying to tell us? Is this a poor thing? You know, damn, yeah. that's powerful. Yeah. So uh, anyways, I nominated them. They didn't take them the first year. Second year, it was supposed to be up to Lee to nominate them and Lee didn't do it. And it's still, well, he probably told him he doesn't want to, he probably probably said, I don't want to, I don't want to be nominated. But I'm not taking the site down because it's got like the greatest hits of, you know, yeah. Virgin, we're, we're Virgin all going to check that Dance. out. Yeah. If, it's, it's, if for no other reason, then, uh, then and, to see all that work. Yeah. And it, you know, he's got the Virgin campaign. It's got the Burger King stuff. It's got the Volkswagen stuff. You know, I pulled out a campaign Ikea and the progression and talking about kind of things that changed industry i mean domino's pizza turnaround can you imagine walking into the ceo of a company and tell them to announce that 
yeah, our pizza sucks. Yeah. You know, people say clients get the advertising they deserve. Yeah. And and that's use the excuse not to present the bold stuff and not to challenge the thing. Me, it's always been I've got to make them think. Yeah. And if I make them think, that's the first step to building a relationship. We say our our slogan here, the agents world's shortest agency slogan, maybe. Um, it's create lust, evoke trust. Now create lust, evoke trust. Yeah, that's it. Now I it's not quite as good as truth well told, but that's only hitting half of it, you know. Um and I have no problem stealing from other people. I mean, our handbook's got a lot of Crispin stuff in it, got stuff in it from other handbooks. And, and yeah. you know, I always, I agree. The first thing somebody should do is read the handbook before they hire us. Not yeah. just before they come to work for us, but read the handbook if you're going to hire us. Is it, is it online? It's online. The next okay. way up is forward slash handbook. So uh, I actually tried when Alex went back, they, they released a new handbook and it, it was really ugly. I said, Alex, let me redesign this and make it interactive, you know, and stuff. And so I did about eight pages and sent it to him and didn't really get a response. And that's typical with Alex. You'll, you learn that over time. But um, Alex is a, a good guy willing to do some, you know, stuff that's out there. Yeah. And challenge things. I've, I've always appreciated that. He, uh, the reason I, one of the reasons I got thrown out the ad the last time was he, I wanted a speaker for our um, social media conference. Mm-hmm. And he sent Achilles Lagrave to speak. Now, who's it, who's Achilles Lagrave? Achilles is a friend of his who runs a company called Brandzuka. You might have heard of it. It's an online um, tool for agencies and small businesses and big businesses to buy um, programmatic, self-serve, easily and inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And Achilles came to give a presentation called WTF Programmatic. Mm-hmm. Okay, WTF, right? So he gets up to start speaking, and we're videoing the thing for him. Got three cameras going. And within the first minute, he said, fuck, at least twice. Right. And he spoke for 45 minutes, and he kept saying, fuck, fuck, fuck. Right. And about after 20 minutes, some. People got up, walked out. Oh my God, this is the most unprofessional speaker ever. This is horrible. You know, this, they were from Ginghamsburg Church and they were not feeling very, you know, inspired by his language. Right. So when we cut him the video, we put a fuck meter in the bottom corner and every time he'd say fuck, he'd go ding and up one, up one. I think he said fuck 48 times in 45 minutes. Yeah. But uh, that led to, Led to me getting some trouble with that. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, you bring the party, David. You know. Where can people reach out and see your work? Well, the next wave.biz has, you know, obviously it has our work. Yeah. Um, our budgets, our, our annual budget is smaller than what, when I went to interview at Shiat once. Yeah. I interviewed with a junior guy and he was working on an ad. Six months he worked on a thing for Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. It's three hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know, production budget. I'm like, shit, I don't build that much in a year. Right? <laughs> but uh, you can see the work. Um, Ernie Shank once called one of my political ads the best political ad he'd ever seen. That was one of my ones runs for Congress back in 2010. 
Oh, yeah. I remember that ad. What was that ad again? I was walking in a graveyard with my dog and talking about how I didn't care about endorsements. And for me, the best thing that came, you know, with the morning paper was the bag that came in and I'm picking up the dog poop again. Um, but Ernie loved that ad when he had the, the no-fly zone blog, which he unfortunately let disappear. Mm-hmm. And Ernie and I have stayed in touch. He, we just did some work for him lately. And uh, He's a good dude. He is a amazing, really great. You're reminding guy. me of all the people that I need to have on this show. Uh, you need to have Luke. You need to have Ernie. Although Ernie doesn't like to talk. Right. Um, Alex, you've had Alex. Haven't no, you? no, no, no. I've invited him. I think he just never, he never responded, but that's okay. Um, Lee Clow, Lee Clow again. He, he, he said, no, he kind of, people told me don't even, because <laughs> it was I the year he was, he was leaving and he had done I, all these interviews. I, I don't know. Um, Sally, I don't know if she would, or she feels pretty much worse from advertising now because she's doing public speaking. And yeah. She, she stuff. really reinvented herself in a great way. Abs- absolutely but yeah. she's still one of the best writers I've ever met and worked with. Her writing is so sharp. So no wasted words. Mm. And I just, that takes time. It. it does, but she, you know, she, she works at it. She practices. Mm-hmm. I, I sincerely believe the best way to become a good writer is to write a lot. Oh yeah. And then to rewrite a lot. That's what and it is. That's what writing the, is. The, the, the best clients give you the money to, to rewrite it a few times. And the, the worst ones, tell you how to rewrite it oh yeah um so i gotta wrap it up because i got a yeah. i got an eleven thirty. but uh what what else should we know about about next wave dot biz the next the next wave the biz. next wave dot biz yeah, if you leave off the the you're in trouble um yeah because they're and if you do it dot com you're in trouble and everything else um what you should know is if you look at our site, there's a lot of content there on how to pick an ad agency. And one of the things we did is we even have a list of all the agencies that we compete with. We've nice. got a whole directory. We've got a directory of ad schools. This is a- great for anybody living in Ohio near Dayton, uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, if you're a student of advertising living in Ohio, you need to go to the nextwave.biz and check out this list. Yeah. And then we have a list of agency search consultants because we figured anybody looking for an agency might want to hire a search consultant? Yeah. Who says only Google can provide the list? So we update the list every time I learn about a new search consultant, I put it up there. That's amazing. And you probably get calls from those search consultants saying, hey, thanks for putting me on your list. Or I, no. I get that. Or we changed our address or we changed our email. Most of our leads come through you. Um, so I built some relationships that way. But we figured out the, the Google search thing a long time ago. So we've added those things. We've got a list of all the ad schools and locations yeah. and stuff. And we... We even have our own little, we've, we started a series of ad, our own ad school videos. Nice. And we got three of them up. We've got another one or two in the can that we haven't finished yet. But uh, that's our great. Own, our own take on learning how to do advertising. Because the first thing we have to do is educate our clients. Yeah. And make, get them to read a copy of Hey Whipple, squeeze this. Yeah. Fifth edition. Yeah. Because it's, it's important to know what you're dealing with and to know what, uh, what good advertising is. So do that. Go to BoguskyFreakout.com. If you're really sharp at BoguskyFreakout.com, you'll find a secret link to a secret site of our alter ego agency. Oh. I'm going to leave that out there. Okay. So um, 
There's and there's happy to there's talk. rabbit there's rabbit holes to go oh, through. Oh yeah, you gotta make it interesting, right? <laughs> Always keep it interesting. Make people think. That is cool. Uh, I, it's so nice to meet you, David. And I've listened to every episode, so I feel like I ha- we have this relationship already. I, you've come a long way. I mean, it's, in, if you from your interview skills and the, the lack of us in betweens <laughs> and stalls and everything, uh, but the, um, a lot of that is editing. No, but the, the first ones on it's it's gotten increasingly better and more insightful, and I think you've reached out to some more interesting people. To me, I I think some of those the people that haven't done the jumps from one big agency to another. I, I always say, remember Lee Clow's only worked at like two agencies and Bogusty yeah. only worked at two. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, in that. And I think there's a lot of great advertising being done. I mean, if I hadn't seen a copy of CA that a girlfriend brought home while I was still in college that had an article about balance and had the black and white ad for that, um, the, um, for a little barber shop, picture of Nixon it says, um, "You can't cover up a bad haircut." I mean, this was—it was just they were brilliant yeah. ads. They were simple, and they were being done in Minneapolis. Yeah, and they were winning all these awards, and they got them into doing the New York Times and you know big clients. And it's just about to get a break. Yeah, and so many of those uh, those solutions that they came up with back then are are relevant again and you know uh i could see a you can't cover up a bad haircut with trump in it like that that would be that like that ad could run right now absolutely and (laughs) i i i just the one thing that was depressing me was all we were getting were tom's friends and family and everybody's worked with and you know all the that's just that's just a sign of my laziness david this business is so hard for people to break into yeah and the hours that are demanded and the pay that's available don't make it the most attractive business to be in. But when I think of the William S. Howards of this world who came from a single family, single parent household and, you know, worked his way up to school and mother was real strong influence. And he came here and he didn't know that he wanted to be a writer. He was going to be an account guy and he, didn't do that great. Next thing you know, he's moved to New York and he's signed up for this program. And he's got a two-year master's now, and that's great. He's got a job, and he's yeah. You know, it makes me makes me happy. And I've had other kids go off to DAP at UC University yeah. of Cincinnati, yep. design program. Um, one of the kids I hired when he was fifteen, he, mom used to drive him and drop him off here. He'd been working at KFC before that, flipping chicken. That's amazing. And uh, he's working. Google and uh, he worked for Spotify for a while. He worked for Frog Design for probably four years. Yeah. And I see these kids go out into the world and their first experience was here, the next wave in Dayton, Ohio. That's amazing. I, I, I can't wait till this uh, pandemic is over. Maybe I can come out to Dayton, Ohio and we could, we could get, uh, what's, what's your favorite restaurant in Dayton, Ohio? We could go, we could go have a beer or something. Oh man, we've got a little Vietnamese bowl in the wall that has the best spot around we've got a wood-fired stone oven pizza that's literally five blocks away it's great we've got uh, one of our clients that makes some incredible pizzas that you'll never have anywhere else nice um that's four blocks away so i mean there's we've got i've got an airbnb 
on the same block. My house is on the same block as my office as my Airbnb. Wow. You've got like a little, you've got a compound going on. I'm I'm the Baron of Bonner Street here. And uh, (laughs) the Airbnb comes in handy when we got clients come to town, you know, just put them up there and yeah, works out great. That's cool. Awesome. We do so most of our work these days comes from outside the date. Yeah. So thanks, David. Thank you, Tom. David Ezrati, everyone. Uh, go to the nextwave.biz and check it out. He really does have a list of other uh, Dayton agencies on there and a list of ad schools. So it's an interesting read and a great blog, too. This has been the A List, sponsored by Ad House Advertising School, where we've got new classes starting at the end of September. So uh, you, you get 10 weeks of classes with an ad pro for way less than the big ad schools charge. Um, apply today at adhousemyc.com and we'll get you in. All classes are on Zoom, so you can take them from anywhere, even Dayton, Ohio. I'm Tom Chrisman. You can find me at tomchrisman.net. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe to the A-List wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, thanks to Ross Hopman over at Duotone Audio Group for the music. Get vaccinated if you haven't yet, and uh, see you soon. Bye.